What's going on, coaches? We just added a new episode of Talking Ball. It's breaking down uh, some LSU Clemson film. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy that a little bit of some stuff from last year. The really exciting news is Coach Walls is going to the state championship uh, in Iowa in the Dome. They already won their last game in the Dome uh, to go to the state play uh, championship. I'm excited to watch it. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to miss it. We'll be in our uh, state quarterfinals games, but uh, we will be putting out on Twitter all the different ways you guys can go and watch. Um, I'm sure they'll have it somewhere streamed that you guys can watch the Ankeny Hawks go win their first state championship. Um, couldn't be more excited for Walls. I'm sure you guys are too. Uh, he would love all of the support you guys can send him on Twitter uh, or hit him up on his phone or email or whatever. Uh, shout out to Coach Walls. Uh, let him know you guys are, are, are pulling for him, uh, and we hope that Ankeny goes and gets their first one, uh, one of, of many that Coach Walls has has won. So uh, here's, here's a shout out to you, Walls. Hopefully you guys go and get it. If you guys need anything from us, uh, just go to runthepower.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Nate Baker. Coach Baker is the co-offensive coordinator and tackles and tight ends coach at Savannah State University. Listen as we talk with Coach Baker about inside zone and power, uh, how he has run duo this year, uh, and he gets on uh, his Zoom call and shows us some film uh, over there from Savannah State. You guys can follow Coach Baker on Twitter at Coach Nate Baker. Hope you guys enjoy. So I uh, I started out, I left high school, and my high school coach was like, I wanted to go to Georgia Southern. I wanted to coach. I knew that early on. I wanted to go to Georgia Southern. And he was like, well, Nate, you're not going to play there for a while. And I was like, oh, I want to go. Because Coach Hatcher had a pretty good resume at the time, just coming from Valdosta State, winning two national championships there and whatnot. So I went to Georgia Southern. Um Stayed in the same dorm with some of the football players in the summer with the with them, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall at that point. But he let me come on as a student assistant, so I worked with him for two years, and then Coach Munkin came in, and that's kind of when I got to do a lot more. We didn't have GAs, so like as an 18-year-old kid, they're like, "Go break down this film," and I'm like, "I have no clue what you're doing." Like, so there's I was lucky to have some people that kind of taught me and led me in that way. And then when Coach Munkin came in, I'd had two years of kind of experience of doing GA work. And so we didn't have those. And so Coach Davis, um, because he had no choice, had to rely on me to help him out. And so that was really big for my – that was kind of when I kind of really started doing some stuff and coaching. So um, that was a really good experience working with them um, as a student assistant in GA for a year. 
And then, um, then I stayed with Coach Fritz. When Coach Munkin left and went to Army, um, I ended up staying with Coach Fritz and GA in there. They offered me a job up at Army late, but I was like, you know, I'm going to try to ride this thing out. I had been with them through April, so halfway through spring ball. So I was like, well, I'm going to just see what this inside zone and power is all about and kind of running this gun triple because that was kind of what my idea of what I wanted to do was. And then um, after two years with Coach Fritz, I went to GMC, spent three years there, and then I got fortunate enough to get the offensive coordinator job with uh, Coach Quinn, me and O-line, O-line and co-offensive coordinator doing that. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey um, to get to this point. Didn't really – this is what I wanted to do, but I just didn't really, you don't, you don't know how it's going to work out. So, um, but working under guys like Brent Davis, Alex Atkins, you know, coach Munkin, coach Fritz and coach Hatcher, like guys like that. It's been, I've been really blessed to work with some really, really good coaches that have come from that do three totally different things that have three totally different styles and be able to see kind of how that works. And so it's been, it's been a, it's been a wild ride, but. Well, Coach, so, so what years were you at uh, Georgia Southern? So I was at Georgia Southern uh, 2008 to 2015. So I was there eight years. Did so. you guys play Houston in 2015? No, we did not 14? play Houston in 2015. We didn't play Houston. Um, so we played our last – our transition row was 13. That's when we beat Florida. And then um, we played a Sunbelt schedule. And we played West Virginia and stuff like that. So Okay. Are you the, West, are you the Houston guy or is Brady? Yeah, I played at Houston. I thought it was it could have been – who knows? It's been five years for me, Coach. Yeah. I, I've been hit it might a bunch. Have been Georgia so State, too. So. Maybe. All right. Yeah. Well, so, so the big, big thing for me um, is what I was writing up before we even started was you said, you know, you guys run two, two plays, you know, inside zone and power. How does that come about? How do you, as, as an offensive line coach and, and, you know, run game coordinator here in high school, whatever that means, I know it means a little bit more at college. It really, I don't know what it means at the high school level, but working with the run game and the offensive line in high school, that two plays almost gave me a heart attack when, when you said that. Uh, it made me nervous just, just hearing that. How does that, I would assume you got a lot of different tags and different things that you're running off of that. How do you work only having two plays into you know, your run game and being confident with that going into your game. Yeah, no, it is, it is weird. So we are, we're all about the smoke and mirrors and stuff like that. So we call ourselves a gun triple option team. And that's, you know, that's what we do. We run read zone, basically just read zone option. And sometimes we can do double options or sometimes a lot of motion and make it a triple option. Um, But the way we block inside zone, it's, it just takes a lot of reps because we see a lot of squeeze, scrape, and insert stuff. So I got into that a little bit this year um, because in the spring we tried to run power versus our defense, and we weren't very good. And so we kind of took it out and had more success with running duo. Um, and so we had a pretty decent amount of success doing it. I was, you know, I, I understood how to block it but I didn't do a great job of communicating it to the guys. So going into our first game, we carried, or going into camp, we were going to go inside zone and duo, and that was what we were going to major in. Well, we were playing Florida Tech, and they were a heavy power team, and so we had to run power for the defense and inside. And I was like, well, I'll throw some in there for you, you know. Well, it ended up being pretty good. Like our guys had picked up the fundamentals, and they ended up being pretty good at it. So we ended up carrying power. And it's what we found was that the duo play, didn't fit what we did and so after game four we kind of took it out and just went basically back to inside zone and so last year was kind of a weird year for us usually I'm a big foundational teacher but with us having only 18 days really 18 days before our first game and not being able to work with those guys in the summer like I had at other places we just kind of I had to go in a different route and because I didn't get to train them the way I wanted to and so they weren't fundamentally where they wanted, where I needed them to be. And so looking back on it, and we played two teams that lined up in just like, uh, like a five down lineman look. It might have been uh-huh. a, might have been an odd front. You might call it a double eagle or a bear, whatever it is. But it's like you're not going to run inside zone into that. And so we didn't really run inside zone the first two weeks. 
Um, we did a little bit versus Florida Tech because they were a slant odd team. But we played Lynchburg and Benedict. They just lined up and said, hey, we're bigger than you. Block us. And I'm like, well, you know, I was telling the other, other offense coordinator, I'm like, we're not going to beat our head against the wall running into a guy that's almost 100 pounds bigger than us. At some right. You know, so we ended up putting in dart for that game just because I didn't feel confident in power um, at that point because we hadn't, you know, it just wasn't, we didn't, I didn't want, we weren't good at down blocks. So we, dart gave us the best amount of double teams. So I say we only run two plays, but at the end of the day, like we kind of mix and match things into kind of where we need it. But um, so, but with the inside zone, the way we block it, it just takes a lot of reps. Um, I tell people this all the time. It's like, if you're not doing what we're doing, like if you're not running gun triple and you're not seeing the squeeze scrape and the ramp inserts, like you don't need to spend four days before you install another play, you know, but with right. us, so much intricacies that go into timing up the snapping off to the linebacker or timing up, Hey, the linebacker leaves. Now I got to train my eyes to transition to my next guy. Those little things, it takes a long time to build. And so kind of the way we install it is the first four days, we do nothing but inside zone and out our tags. So we have tight end tags, we have running back tags, and then we have receiver tags. And so we just kind of put those in in the first three to four days and just kind of work all our variations off of it. And then we'll go into putting in some powers. But on day four, when we do it, we only run it in inside. So that way we can make sure we get all our timings on all the other stuff in, because that's the most important thing. For us to get as many reps of banked reps of inside zone as possible so they get the feeling of it and then getting the motion timing timed up with everything because that's the hardest part the hardest part for the quarterback is pulling the thing and stretching it as long as he can and making his decision properly and making sure that he's pitching off the right guy and making sure he's understanding his reads and his keys so that's kind of why we do it that way um we turned into a big power read team at the end of the year last year. So like jet power where we're centering across. So as what we did this spring was we put in jet inside zone on day two to work the jet motion, work the timing of it. So I can get reps of inside zone. They can get reps of jet timing. And that way we can kind of mix it all together. Cause it really doesn't matter what play you run. Right. You know, as long as it's the motion that needs to be timed up and we need banked reps at inside zone. And I heard, I was listening to, one of y'all's podcasts the other day and like I was saying I don't know if it was you or whoever but it builds on each other like our guard does the same thing that he does on power you know on inside zone and power his footwork's the same on the back side as it is if he's on the front side power you know he's taking the same right. it's just if they got an a gap player he's a down block if it's you know a three technique it's the same thing there's no difference you know right so that's kind of what we try to do is just build on levels and get bank reps in that regard. So just get simple because at the end of the day with what we do, they have to stop the inside zone or they have to stop the quarterback. It can't do, can't do both, you know? And so that's kind of what we rely on in that regard. So coach, um, I have written down here. Uh, I was curious with, with your inside zone, with having all these tags, you know, four different days of, of your different tags and reading and, and, you know, triple reading off of it. My, my two questions are, do your linemen need to know every tag? Does that, does every, uh, maybe not every, maybe not the receivers tags, but does every running back tag change something for them? And then my second question is, are you guys blocking that as far as like zone scheme? Or are you more number system like what I think of when I think of a triple option team? No, we block it just like a normal inside zone. So we want to get as vertical as possible on our inside zone. Um, so we'll, we'll quote unquote declare the front the same way that you would in that regard. Like, so I'm taking my front side combo to the front side backer. I'm taking my backside combo to the linebacker backside. And I'm trying to work a vertical double team and work a vertical, all nine yards. So we do um, – some people are getting into it a little bit more now. But Coach Atkins, when we were kind of starting this, because Coach Atkins, when he got to Georgia Southern, we tried to block it the backside traditionally where the tackle 
like dropped and tried to reach it. Well, as what ended up happening is we weren't athletic enough. So is what we started doing is washing that backside double team down. So we talked to a couple people and ended up finding out that um, I think it was Brent Grimes is who he ended up talking to because Coach McGee was at Auburn um, before he got there. He takes a lateral lateral with his freshman on the backside. And so it's what we ended up finding out was that the lateral lateral is kind of the key. And so I've talked to a bunch of a bunch of different people and some of them are doing it similar similarly, but we're our main objective on the double team is to get the backside tackle or the center, whoever it is working, you know, to overlap and get a vertical double team pushing it vertical. So there's no difference in that on the inside zone aspect of it. The count system kind of counts outside, but we're trying to work vertical double teams no different than anyone blocks inside zone. So it's not our, our zone is vertical and we're sitting on the butt of the center and we're really trying to push the ball front side, ideally. Like, so if I got an open B gap on the front side, I want that ball to sit on the center's butt and cut to the B gap. Hmm. Front B gap, not backside B gap. So um, we're trying to push everything front side to make them fit and fill over there. And they have to declare. Because if you, with the way they play, they scrape to the quarterback. Well, if the ball bends back to the quarterback, that's where everyone's at. So right. Keep the running back. And it's kind of opposite of the under center triple. And it took me a little while to kind of process it because I'm like, well, we called 12 and I was tripled to the right. And the B back is crushing through that dang right off the guard's butt. And he's crushing it in there. And so we did some gun stuff when we, um, a little bit in 11, 12, and 13 when we were at Georgia Southern. And we could never get the double teams on the same level. And the ball would bend back naturally and everybody would be sitting in the hole. And so it was like, so after kind of experiencing that, now we based under center and then did the other, you know, then did the gun stuff. So when we went full inside zone, it was like we had traditional guys, guys that are run traditional offenses, kind of putting this stuff together. So like we have very base traditional concepts that roll into it. So it's no like, you probably block inside zone the same exact way I do. Right. With inside zone and, and the reason, like you're talking about, we've always taught that we want to, and, you know, it's more like the more like duo, which, uh, you know, I, I don't really understand all the differences, but it's more like duo where we want to bend it back behind that big double team the way that we teach it. It's tight. It's center to backside of inside zone. Right. With you guys wanting to hit it out the front side, how do you teach your, your front side guard and tackle? Because that's always my, I think, the most difficult part. You know, if the tackle has a five, you don't want to get beat inside. But if you just play underneath them right now, it seems like, now you're, you're condensing that hole the running back can go to. Same thing if, you know, the guard has a front side three technique. You want that in, you know, you want it to go in A gap. You would like to get that guy stretched. But also you don't want him to, uh, you know, get – Feet underneath uh, immediately is it right. you know what's that path like how are you teaching those guys that's where um when we don't bend it back that's where I just have such a hard time I think coaching that front side so a lot of it and this sounds terrible because I've talked to a bunch of people and they're like well do you like running the zone to the lowest technique and I'm like I don't care because I can recruit so that's the difference you know and that's where I get into some with high school coaches I'm like regards 240 can't block that guy run it to the lowest technique I'm with you right check the play get him set that way and we had to do that some this year you know we had to do it where it's like I told the other guy I'm like hey look you got to call this formation to call this play because if DJ gets a three technique this boy's a freshman that's never played in a college game and he's going against a fifth year senior he's right you know so we do have to do that in some scenarios but when we get good um is what I tell him is just split manipulation so, like, if I got a five technique and I know that they're not, they're not going to be a heavy blitz team, well, go get a four-foot split and just step inside foot and just get your butt in the way, you know. And that's kind of how we've done it. And then you start to see spiking ends, and so then you have to cut it back down and you have to adjust it on the run. But for the most part, you're pretty good. And so it's just when you start getting that four-foot split and he starts to spike, now you got to cut it back down. And one of our base drills that we do every day is zone versus movement. B 
because that's kind of what people try to do to us. They try to move eventually. So we practice movement every single day. Our defense probably blitzes us in practice like 50 to 60% of the time. Mm. They do. Um, so when you so, get that, so when you get that front side shade, and this is to me always the million dollar question. I think I've gone back and forth on it, you know, every year. But you get that front side shade, or maybe not a tight shade, a loose shade. Are you right. sending your guard now with your tackle, or are you keeping your guard with your center on that front side? So, at, to answer, to I've done it both ways. At GMC, we had to do it where we stepped opposite foot. I, I really like to tell my guys, if we're running zone left, step left foot first. Um, so the way that I would prefer to do it is that the left guard, he takes a, a step with his left foot, whether it's a timing step or a lateral, just to pick it up, put it down, check the knee of the end. If the end doesn't come, then I'm tracking back vertical. Vertical. And I tell our guys is, now my center's a pretty good player for the most part, so he can handle the initial movement on a shape. And so – is what we tell the guard is, is that the guard or this, that shade is playing the A-gap. His job is to not get reached by the center. If he gets reached by the center, then he is, he is screwed his, he's screwed up. And if he gets reached by the center, I'm telling my t- center to take a tight lateral vertical, and he's really bad. Hmm. So is what I'm telling him is to check it and then track vertical to the linebacker. And it gets back on our same paths. And is what he'll naturally do is he'll just bump it. And so – it's um, it, it's weird, you know, it doesn't sound like, you know, you're like, that, that really, but we use the defense's momentum against them. Right. So we get a natural bump. It's not a step back. You'll see, if I showed you some of our film from last year, you'll see our guys, the guards stepping back into the shade. Um, we've kind of gotten them out of it now that we've got more, more of a vertical, more of a vertical step. Yeah, but we want them to work vertical and just tap it because the hip's going to naturally turn to you. Like it's going to naturally turn to the guard because that guy's trying to, to torque his hip and play the gap. And so I didn't see much shade going into that. You know, it was all two eye, two eye, two eye. At Georgia Southern, we didn't see a shade hardly ever. Gotcha. Then, then I got the GMC and it was like 50 50, whether it was a shade or a two eye. We got to, uh, when we got to Savannah State, we would see a lot of two eyes on film. But when they played us, because we had such big guards, we had a really experienced guard at left guard that was a really good player. And we, had a, we have a massive right guard. He's 6'5", like 320. And so they didn't want to play in a two-eye because they knew they would get a nice double team with the center because we run everything out of, out of the tight pistol. And so they don't, they don't have like a key where they can like set the front to the back. So we got a lot more heavy – we got a lot more shade and it was kind of what you were saying, that loose shade. We got loose three techniques that try to come tight off the hip because they didn't, right. they knew if our guard touched them, they were done. And so, cause just in our league, just in D2 in general, you might get a more athletic guy, but he's not six foot six. So let me, let me ask you with this as well. Are you, are you given the center? So now it's inside zone left and there's a three technique to the play side. Are you teaching your center the, with a shade, or, you know, I know you don't see it a ton, but a shade on the backside. Are you, are you still teaching him to get vertical on the second step, or is he selling out with the three? Nope, he's getting vertical. So he's taking it. It's, it's no different. And that's kind of where it comes in because, in theory, like we can play anyone in any position because they all take the same footwork. And so this is how it kind of transitions. The guard, if I'm at left guard, I step, check the knee of the five, and then I get back vertical. If I'm at center, I step. I'll probably I'll take a drop step at center because I got to get back on the same level. Check the knee. If the knee's not there, now I'm tracking vertical. And it's a little bit different for the center because he's actually the one getting attacked. So I tell him, you better brace if that three doesn't come because he's attacking you. So he knows if he doesn't see the knee, tell him to key the knee. If the knee doesn't come, he's now tracking back vertical through it. And now hopefully we can get a second level cut off of it. So is what we're trying to get is the back to get into the line, stay in front side, and then he makes a second-level cut. So he might end up naturally bending it back to the back, but it's at the second level, not at the first level. And so this is where it gets even deeper into it. The left guard's footwork is uncovered. He's uncovered, so now he's going to lateral, lateral to overtake it. 
which is the same footwork that the tackle would take with a three technique on the back, mm -hmm. lateral, lateral, or the center would take with a two by. So in theory, I can transition and change. Like I can literally play my five best players at any point to be able to come in because their footwork doesn't change. The only difference that we do is a pull, you know? And so that's where you get into a little bit of the variation. But in reality, 60% of our offense, like, it's the same. So, and that's been the good part about it is that you're getting a lot of banked reps and building and building and building. So, but if we just lined up in two by two and just ran inside zone like that all day with no motion, we would get jacked up pretty good, you know, because that's just, you have to have candy. You have to have eye candy for the defense. You have to force them to fit in different spots and key motions and give them a bunch of misdirections. How does, how does that work with your offense line? Because being an offense lineman at one point in my life, I mean, I, as a coordinator, I understand it and I get it and I get what it does to defenses, but as a left tackle or as a guard, I've made my points. I know who I'm wanting to work to. Now all of a sudden we get motion, you know, coming opposite of inside zone. And now guys are rocking or guys are moving and now all the, things have changed or maybe edge pressure comes do your guys need to hear those motions are they just aware on any inside zone they're probably getting motion so they need to track to a spot how does that work for your guys so is what we our basic rules of it is we just we block gap first so that's how we start like when I draw it up on the board I just draw a lateral vertical line going straight vertical up the field and when they walk in the door and we say zone left, I'll ask the left tackle, what gap do you have? Coach, I have the C gap. And down the line. And everybody's got the gap to the left. That's their number one priority. All right. The number two priority is, okay, what is initially in my gap? Okay. So, all right, what do you have, left tackle? Well, Coach, I have a five technique. Okay. Well, he's playing the C gap. So what are you going to do to him? Coach, I'm going to base block him. Very good. Like, and it's that simple, you know? And so then we kind of worked on the line. Hey, I got a three, right? Well, I'm going to, I'm thinking initially, I'm going to base block it. Center, all right, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to step and check the knee of the three technique. If, the, if there's nothing in the A gap, then I'm going to track vertical to the next thing in the A gap, which is the initial point, which is the linebacker. And so, is, and that's when we get in this phase two of it is, well, once that linebacker scrapes and clears my cylinder, now I know it is gone from the A-gap. Now I got to go track to the next thing. And so we kind of work it. And that's why we do it for four days, you know, because we have to work every phase. We have to work the base blocks first. Then we have to work the zone versus movements. That's why we do it every day. We work base blocks, we work zone versus movements, and we work basically a fight the flatten drill where you're just working the double team, trying not to get pressed down. And we work those things every single day until they get comfortable with it, okay? Now let's add a linebacker into it. So now you got to block the linebacker. Okay, now the linebacker's moving. And so we just kind of work through those things. But it takes a lot of time, you know. And that's – I have people ask, ask me about it, and they're like, well, you know, we kind of want to dabble in this. And I'm like, well, got to be careful with that. Because if dudes are stable, like it's easy to block a linebacker that's sitting in the B-gap that plays downhill in the B-gap. Right. It's, it's not hard to block a – three technique that spikes and a backer that fills and replaces, you know what I mean? That's, but when they start, when one snap they sit there and play the a gap and then the next snap they scrape across and then the next snap, the safety comes and inserts in the a gap or, you know, the three technique moves, you're getting edge pressure. That's a lot of stuff. And it's a lot of eye training. That's all we do. We really just train our eyes to stay in our gap and not get caught. And so that's the that's why we only run two plays, you know, because there's so much variations, and we have to be able to literally pick up every every answer a defensive coordinator has. So, coach, you're talking about you know your your lateral lateral and and then the overlap. You know, what, what's kind of the aiming point for the guy? Because I know you hear something different from everybody. You know, some guys are you know we keep our face out of it and we don't put our eyes there, our hands or our shoulders. I mean, I always think it's interesting to hear. You know, what is he looking to do or where is he looking to put his, you know, whatever you want to call it, landmark? How is he fitting up when he's going to be the, the lateral, lateral guy? 
So is what we're looking to do is we're looking to get our eyes to the V of the neck of the fender, to the V of the neck of the fender, because that's what, that's what our base job is on a base block. You know, so if I'm the center and I'm lateral, lateral, and two, two eye, I want to take a lateral, lateral step, get my eyes to the V of the neck of the fender, and then engage. So in theory, people say four hands, four eyes, whole nine yards. I want, really, I want the, the guy who's in the B gap to have his two eyes in the B gap and one hand in the block. And then I want the center, let's say it's with the two eye, I want that center to lateral, lateral, get his eyes to the V of the neck of the defender, and he should have one hand basically on the back and one hand starting to engage. So, and that's, and that's kind of the way I teach it when it comes to that, because I want him to get literally to your aiming point. And then after that, it just transitions to, well, now on the backside, if I'm the backside tackle, lateral, lateral into a three technique, I know on the backside of my zone, I want to try to cut it off and reach it. So now I'm going to really go strong inside hand and lock it out and try to work it up. With the center, now he's just kind of taking it where it needs to go because he's where, where the zone's going. You know, he's, he's taking the zone where it needs to go. So he'll, he'll stay where it needs to stay. And if the guy plays outside, let's say we get a bad double team, then he might turn it into a wash and it'll be a backside A gap cut. But ideally, he's squaring it up, tracking it vertical, and taking it where it needs to go because the guard's doing a good job in that regard. So, so, you, so you're teaching the, the backside overlap just a little bit different than, than say, you know, kind of, you know, your center or maybe a, a front side one, just simply because obviously the ball is going to be kind of behind the center, whereas if you're the tackle, the ball is kind of hitting in front of him. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't really say it. The way I teach it, they don't see it any different because they're going mm-hmm. on inside hand, on inside zone. So, like, if I'm, the, if I'm the right tackle and we're running zone left, well, he knows he's got to go strong with his left hand instead of going strong with his right hand, you know, because it's his left gap. So he's got to keep that guy in the B gap and go strong left hand. And by doing that, it just kind of works it out the same. So I'm not going to lie to you, last season, because I didn't have enough time with them, like they kind of turned that almost into a down block sometimes early on in the year. And then we finally got them understanding, like, no, you're really trying to actually get vertical and go strong inside hand here, not just cover it up and wash it down. So. It's um, that was one of the interesting things that we had with that. So I like that coaching point, though. I mean, talking about the the hand pressure, you know, kind of which which arm I got to go long with. I think that makes it that makes a good visual of those guys. I like that coaching point. Coach, I'm curious, you know, we're, we're looking to, you know, possibly get into a little bit more pistol this year um, uh, and, and run some different things, not necessarily zone triple, but but some things out of pistol. Uh, the big argument I always hear or I always get pushback on is that it's difficult to for pass protection for those tailbacks to go out of pistol. What's uh, with six man, uh, you know, general drop back protection? What is your answer? What do you guys do with that tailback when he's in pistol? How does that work out for you? You know, for you guys because that's that's been my only big pushback ever when trying to get a little bit more pistol. Uh, in our offense yeah we uh it's hard like I'll go ahead and say that because we run a short pistol so we're at like six inches behind and we were going back through our spring cut-ups and looking at it and like I said our defense is a heavy pressure team so we're trying to run play action basically six-man protection half slide on the front side lock the back side the back's taking his slide and trying to get into the line and the backers in our face and so we do struggle with some of that and it, and if so, like, I, in my personal opinion, I think you just got to base it off of the tendencies that you're seeing. You know, if you're going to see, like, in third down and six, you know, and you got a heavy middle pressure team or a heavy edge pressure team in that scenario, like, don't put them in pistol. But if you know on first down and 10 that the blitz probability is only, like, 20%, we'll take, roll the dice on that one. You know, and that's kind of how we look at it. Um, we're not going to call – and we tell our backs this, we used to call like, hey, back, line up right, hey, back, line up left, hey, do this, hey, do that. But then we just kind of started teaching them, like the the quarterback's coach, who's the running back's coach also, Mm -hmm. I just tell them to line up, mix it up. Like, I don't really care because that's another word we have to add to our deal for no reason, you know. And so by about week six, they just figured it out, and you'd see him lining up, what is he doing over there? 
I don't know, coach. I mean, it's just where you want to line up. Sometimes he'll come across the face and whatnot. So we just kind of give him a mix of deals. But I agree with you in that scenario. Like, it is not easy to protect. You know, it's not. Um, now, maybe off of a – maybe going full slide, that would help you out. But, you know, it does give you a huge disadvantage in that regard, trying to pick up a backer who's, who's blitz a big B gap or picking up an A gap pressure on the backside or the side that he's supposed to block with his, with his key coming. So we try to limit our pistol in that scenario. Um, but like our first and second down stuff, we'll do it out of pistol. Anytime we're faking a triple, we'll do it out of pistol. And so sometimes we'll get burned on that, you know? Um, but the back's usually going through the line hard enough that he, he gets in the way good enough and our quarterback can run. So we get out of it, but we try to really, predicated off of tendencies going in the game like hey look if we get a big play here do not put the back in pistol you better make sure he's offset because they're gonna blitz you know and we have those tendencies drawn up for us and we know we have a pretty good idea of what we think is going to happen so um but we only throw like I said we don't throw the ball probably 20 percent of the time you know maybe 25 depending upon the game so we're hoping to do it a little more this year but Sure. Well, and I'm, ass- I'm assuming some of that's off play action. What's your what's your go to, or what are some of your favorite play action protections that that give a good look to the defense, but uh, leave you with a good protection as well? I think that's where, again, I always always fall into. Man, this stuff looks really pretty, and and you know the the guys throwing it would love to do it, but scares me on the protection side of it. What's your what's your go to as far as a good look and makes you comfortable protecting so our base one that we do is just a basic seven man play action protection where we're going full slide so you know we'll send motion and we'll go full slide left have the tight end in there have the back fake he's able to clean up and we kind of tell him it's kind of weird we tell him to go inside out and go a to b to the backside c to clean up whatever's left and so that way we get a really good sell on it um that's kind of our base one the other one we do is just a half slide lock protection. We'll half slide left, lock the right side. The back will play fake. He usually play fakes to the to the slide side, and then he'll bend it back and go A gap to B gap to edge. So um, those are two, really the only two protections we run. We put in a little bit of naked stuff here, just experiment with that to kind of give us another look at it. But those are kind of our base ones, and we feel like we're pretty gapped out and sound in that regard. Um, but we're just – we're really not – that's not what we were built for last year was protecting. You know, we would – me and the other guy would get into arguments. Like, I'm like, dude, you got to throw the ball. He's like, I, I don't trust him to throw the ball. And I'm like, well, I don't get that. I don't trust him to protect, but we can't – you know, and we're going back and forth like, <laughs> you know, like we got to do something. So um, until they got kind of comfortable with it, but we've kind of started to go into the, we're starting to really look at the RPO stuff just because it's a really easy way to basically protect without having, because we do so much run stuff. It's really simple to just, hey, we're going to block inside zone, gives a little bit more of a cell fake and then throw the ball behind the head because we're getting such heavy boxes. So, you know. Throwing a glance by one or glance by two, you know, doing stuff like that. So, well, coach, the other thing that you had talked about that I writ- that I had written down, um, you talked about being one of those thousand rep guys, um, and and that's something that I grew into as a coach. I, I was like that as a player, but then uh, as I became a coach, it was like, and that was I used to work for Coach Walls, and and our head coach was a. Uh, an NFL offensive lineman as well for 10 years and their big gripe with me the whole time was I was stopping individual or stopping things too much to get you know that perfect technique or that perfect footwork and so that was causing us to go way down in our reps and I think the more that I've that I've coached the more that I kind of start getting into the more reps they can get the more they start feeling it, the more their body figures it out. And yes, I got to coach them. I got to give them tips. We got to talk about it on film. But the more times they can do that, the more times they figure out what what their body needs to do. Um, 
being a thousand rep type of coach, is that something that you build your individual and build inside off of being able to get a bunch of reps? Or is that what you're expecting them to do outside of their own practice? How does that work for you uh, with your guys? So I look at it in like in four phases, kind of the way we roll with it. So when I was at GMC, well, when I was at Georgia Southern, it's whenever they started to transition the rule. And so we were able to do basically work with guys um, in spring ball, do drills with them for an hour in the summer or however much it was, I don't remember, and then get to spring ball and then go from there. You know what I'm saying? And then you get to camp and they're boned up and ready to go. So like I went against my whole philosophy this year and I knew that was going to be going in. And that's why after the third game, we were like, I was like, look, we got to scrap everything and go back to day one because we're seeing four down the rest of the year and we got to be prepared for that. So, you know, that's why we, I mean, I think we had 184 total yards versus Morehouse. We had 225 total yards versus Charleston Southern. Then we played Alcorn and we had 284 total yards and we started to pick up. Then we played Cark Atlanta in that monsoon that happened in the South. So we threw the ball twice that game, but we had 325 yards rushing. Then we went to Albany and we just started to build on it because that's just the way we were. And I'm not a big, I got this from coach Fritz. Like, I don't think like the more reps I give a guy in a day, that's not going to make him a better player. It's built over time. So, you know, rep management is a big deal for me. Um, like, I don't want a guy to go take 20 team reps in a day, especially, like, when he's coming, like, coming into camp. So we try to limit reps and really monitor them. Like, I try to really do it with my guys because I want – I don't want them to take a bad rep. So we start off camp taking three reps a team at a time. You don't get more. Like, you get three. That's it. Then you get a break. And then depending upon how deep we are, you know, you might get nine reps versus the defense in a team setting if we run 18 plus. You know, that's it. You know, so, but they're good quality reps. You're fresh. And then you get a real good feeling because once they get tired, they just blink out and they're done. Like they're, they have no concept of what's going on. So I'm a big, when I talk to them, I want them to feel what it feels like to be successful. And we talk about that. Like, where did you feel that good rep occur? Well, coach, I don't really know. I just got lucky, I guess. Okay, well, let's go back and understand where you need to feel it. Because I think as playing an O-line, like, you got to feel the repetitions. Like, I'll go do reps with them because I want to feel, like, what that guard's doing because like, we're just limited on numbers, like, sometimes. So I'll just go take a rep, right. you know, break. Um, in a certain period, but I want to feel, I want them to feel like, Hey, look, this guy's not doing their job properly or no, like he's doing his job fine. You're overcompensating for no reason. And so we kind of, I just want them to get a feeling of it. And so we kind of build it through that. And so that's why I have loved having spring ball early this year. Now I didn't get the benefits of actually having spring. I did, but I didn't because I didn't get to fix what we were struggling with. So in theory is what we were trying to do was get spring ball done, see what issues we had, fix those issues throughout April and May. And then June and July, you know, we can't do anything with them in D2, but they they have a great foundation and know exactly what they need to work on in the summer. And then boom, when we get to fall camp, hopefully that, they're that much far ahead. But at GMC, like I, as soon as the season ended, they came in the weight room the next week and it was like, all right, we're back doing base one day one, like, and you just break it down further. So the further you are away from a camp or spring ball, whatever it is, you just break it down. And as you get closer to that, you start to build on those fundamentals. So we'll just work in the weight room, one step, punching. Like making sure they're taking a good step and timing up their hands and their feet. All right. And then we'll take two steps and punch the next week. And then we'll do certain things. So like just during this during this time, I just been having them get on a knee, drive their knee into the ground and work vertical, you know, and work on just driving that knee into the ground and feeling that quote unquote drive catch and working it. So, cause if they go take steps, like it's not going to be beneficial because no one's coaching them, you know? And I'm a big, I had one coach that used to get on me. He's like, don't let them do drills by themselves. Cause they'll develop bad habits. 
And I was like, you know, you're not wrong on that regard, you know, because you don't want someone to take a thousand backups. So limit the what they can do and put it into like a small box that builds the base fundamental of it and then add it. Because they've taken over a thousand steps with me by this point, some of the guys, you know, right. I mean, kid played last year. So, you know, they've all been in games, all but one of them have been in the game. So you're, you know, you have that foundation now. Now let's fix what we're struggling with. Coach, do you guys, you talked about, you know, protecting with the tight end, you know, are you guys running the zone both directions? You guys run it at the tight end, you know, and you have an open side on the backside and then obviously run it back to the weak side with the tight end, you know, cutting off. Sometimes I felt like that could kind of, you know, mess with guys as far as targets are concerned. Do you guys run it both ways? And if you do, how do you guys kind of communicate that? Or do you have maybe different play call for to a tight end as opposed to to the weak side? So we don't ever change. So for our guy, for the O-line, is all they hear is zone right. Like the, you asked that question earlier. The tag does not affect them at all. Like no tag tells our O-line to do anything except for we put in a lock tag. Or we'll say Bob, and they'll be big on big on the backside. But if any other thing besides Bob, which we don't really run that much, any other tag we have, they're into the call. And so that's kind of what we do. We'll put the tight end on the backside, and we can call our just inside zone give. And if he's on the line, he'll reach and cut it off. We're not very successful at that. A majority of our stuff comes from the Y off position. Um, but you know, we'll put them on the front side a good amount of times because is what it does is it gives them an extra gap to fill. And so we'll get in like, you know, just tight end wing nub and then twins to the other side. And that always gives defensive coordinators fits. Or we can just move the tight end to the other side and make it look like three by one with a nub on the other side. And we usually run zone into it or we read that side. Um, we don't usually ask our tight end to cut off um, just, hey, go cut that guy off. We rarely do that. We usually keep him on the front side. Because like you said, that is, a, that is hard to do, especially when it's not something that we major in. Yeah, that technique with, with tight ends especially, you get those good six techniques. Man, that's difficult. And I think you, when you do put him off, it makes it a lot easier. So now he can kind of, you know, like you said, he's, he's already in that overlap position with the tackle. And he can kind of get his hat in the crack as opposed to now having to really, really drive, catch, and reach that dude. And, and we ask our tight ends to do so much, you know, with loading the box, making sure that you're, you know, hey, you got to know on this play to go, you know, block the, second, the first defender outside. On this play, you got to know to come around. And so it just matches our offense better to do it from while. So that's kind of what we ended up sticking with in that regard. But – yeah, it's a hard block. Like, you got to be a bona fide dog to do that. Like, and we just – we have great athletes, but that's just not something we major in with them. No. Coach, you, you talked jet motion or, or, you know, fast motion, however you want to you wanna call it, uh, at the beginning and sit, talked about how important that timing was since you guys are in the pistol. Um, if you've got to go and maybe you haven't – you know, maybe you guys don't or, or whatever, but if you've got to go silent count – how are you guys getting that timed up? Um, as an offensive lineman, I hate silent count, but I think that probably, um, you know, quarterbacks and coordinators love it. And so we get into it at times. Um, and I think the most difficult part, obviously, is for tackles and pass protection. But one of the most difficult is timing up those jet motions. How do you guys uh, work that? Obviously, I'm sure you, you work it a ton, it sounds like, even on plays that you may not do it most of the time, you're still getting – that jet motion work, how do you time that up as far as cadence-wise or working with your center and, and, and quarterback? So with the way we've ended up working it out is we don't – I guess we just do your basic clap, you know. That's kind of what we do with that. So we don't have, like, I guess a silent count. Um, but we – they – so the good thing for us is as soon as he hears the clap, you know, he knows exactly how much the center – is consistent with his snap every time. So making sure that that's uniform and that goes in the motion time and stuff. But we always snap it um, either right at the tackle or just outside of it. And the quarterback's kind of got to know what guy's going in motion because right. one guy, like, he's going to – you better snap it when you're outside the tackle. If it's the other guy, you're good to snap it anywhere. 
we kind of we usually read the jet. We don't we don't normally just like pitch it out there. Our quarterback the coach and our other offense coordinator does a great job of it. That's like one of the things that like he does a really great job is coaching that power read, like keeping that quarterback tight and making the read quick. Um, I was not a big fan of power read because of the mesh charges that you get running up the field. Mm-hmm. Um, with the timing that he has developed with them snapping it at that point and the read for the quarterback, like I'd probably say about 60% of the time, quarterback can pull it or give it and he's right, you know, just because they don't have enough time to react. And so now we do do enough with running Q power or running the jet and handing off the ball to the back. But our main thing is jet power read. Like that's what we ended up majoring in towards the end of the year. But it's just something that with our offense, it's not primary for them to defend. They better learn how to squeeze. They better learn how to fit the zone. And when the guy goes in jet motion, that's like, okay, that's my day two work. You know, we played Fort Valley, and they spent a lot of their time on making sure that the ball didn't get outside on the power read. And so we just ran the quarterback right up the middle, and we had very good success on that because they tried to run up the field. And our quarterback, I don't, and that's the thing I was telling the, one of my buddies the other day when we were meeting, and he was explaining to him, it's just two quite quick shuffles and keep it tight and every time I pause the film he's right behind that tackle and he's able to insert in so I think just making sure the quarterback doesn't get too elongated and making sure that the snap if the quarterback doesn't get too elongated you can be a little bit slow or a little bit fast and get away with it and so that's kind of what we try to do with it just keep the quarterback as tight as possible and not get strung out because once he starts to get strung out that's when your inconsistencies go but we'll have many a time where the snap's a little high right and we are a little late on it and we keep it and we got to get what we can get. So we just kind of take that, you know, if that happens one out of 50 or two out of 50 times, I'll take that, you know, now, and then the quarterback will, he'll know, like if the snap starts to go right, well, I need to snap it a little bit earlier, you know? So it's a lot on the quarterback really, to be honest with you. Well, I completely agree with you on that. That's always been my my issue with most power reads is you see that that big two or three shuffles. And, and now he's – because he wants to ride that thing out as long as possible. Well, now when it's a, a keep read, now he is way too wide for, for the way that we're blocking power. We'd have to almost put in a, a completely new play for it. Uh, whereas opposed, like you said, two short, quick shuffles, he can get inside and, and stay inside of our kick out. And I mean, it's it's not like, and that's one thing we we were starting to do it with back off offset and did it with the back coming across. We just didn't have a fast enough back to hit the right. Edge and so that read got muddied up because it wasn't happening fast enough. So now, do you send that tailback out to to lead for the jet sweep? Yeah, he'll lead for the jet sweep. And so, depending upon our formation, he'll either block the high safety or um, if there's not a receiver out there he'll go block the first guy outside and so and how do you teach your pulling guard because I I you know I've had times where I've been coached to read the defensive end and if the end scrapes I'm gonna open at the last second and get around them because now I know that it's gonna be a give key and then I've also heard coaches just say hey just block it like it's gonna be power because you're probably not gonna be able to block for the guy if he gives it anyways how are you teaching the pulling guard yeah so with the guard it's I everything stays the same. So it's kind of nice. So when we first put it in, we treat it like power. So the the right tackle, he'll end up kind of chasing the backside linebacker that's coming across. But I tell my guard to stay tight and insert. And then after we kind of master that, then is what I tell the tackle is, hey, treat this like our normal inside zone. If the guy runs over the top, don't worry about him. Just stay on track. So when they, that's like one of the few times they have to listen for a word when they hear, hey, look, it's power read okay, like, I know it's power this. So on read, I just track, and the guard does the same thing. He stays tight. And so he just finds the tackle's butt and inserts, and he'll block the first thing he sees. So we don't want him to chase, because I'm not going to get there. We're not athletic enough to do it. Right. If I had some dudes, like, at the upper level, I might change that. You know, I might be like, hey, chase that guy, because you can kick him out, whereas my guards can't do that. And so just with our athletic ability – at GMC, like, when I had some dudes, I got – I didn't 
coach it the way I do now. I told him to chase it, track it a little bit more. Um, whereas now I'm just like, hey, insert, there's motion going everywhere. These dudes, you don't know what you're going to get. Just go. And right. so I kind of work it that way. So I've done it both ways, but the way that's easiest for the kids is just stay on track and just roll tight. And so we don't lock on men. And it fits what we do because we don't lock on linebackers whenever we block our zone. So for them, it's a really easy concept to just kind of transition to the next one. But that's hard when you don't – when you're running zone and you're locking on that backer and you're saying, hey, you got that guy no matter what, and you're transitioning your zone and they're locking on one dude and their eyes aren't trained to move. When they move. So, like, you got to – you got to kind of do it fit you, you know what I mean? So, so if you're doing it with it in that 20 personnel look, uh, with the, with the, you know, the Y off, are you putting him on the front side and arcing him out? Are you putting him on the back side of it, letting the tailback go? Or are you, how, do, how does that work when you're doing it? Cause it makes sense to me in my head in 10 personnel. I'd love to do it out of 20. I just don't know, I guess, the, the schematics of where I'm putting that 20 personnel fullback on, on power read. Right. So when we do do power read um, is what we're doing is we'll put him on either side, depending upon what we feel majority of the time he's going to the side of it. So we're going to put him if we're running power, right, power read, right. He'll be on normally on the right side. And so with the tight end, we just tell him the count. So the receivers got the first guy. The next receiver's got the second guy, and you got the third. And so we have tags that tell them what to do. So we would call it A, because the A is getting the ball. So we say A power read. Well, A power read tells you to block the third guy. If we just said power read, well, then you'd be blocking the second guy because we don't have a third blocker. Gotcha. Kind of treat it that way. Um, so it's, it's not – like I said, it's not hard – like you look at it, it's not, it's just, you can't overcomplicate it. But then when you get into some jacked up looks, you have to teach the guy to count. Like, Hey, look, you got the third guy. Like you're responsible for one, you're responsible for two, you're responsible for the third guy, however it fits out inside five yards. We usually let the high safety go. So, um, kind of the way we roll with that in that regard. So it's, we try, like I said, we try to keep it as simple as possible and match the rules up, but the, on their inside zone stuff match the power read stuff gotcha which, which makes it a lot better they get so we'll get three guys outside on the whole deal most of the times whenever we're doing it but we just always let the high safety go in that regard. just trying to keep it simple and match up the rules as much as possible to where they don't have to think yeah 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 we can see it gotcha but out of every formation and every personnel group to kind of help us out depending upon what we need and so we'll get an unbalanced and do it. And this is kind of the main, this is our, one of our bread and butters. So, but it transitions the same way. What's, what's your, what's your coaching point for your quarterback on, on the read part of it? Um, so he just has to make a feel for it. He has to have a feel for what is, He's just got to feel the end. And like I said, 60% of the time, he gets, he's not wrong or right. But if, gotcha. he, if he feels him wide and, like, he'll look at him, if the guy's sitting there, he'll just hand it off. You know, if he's running up the field, he just kind of reads his movements on it. Um, we don't, like, overcoach it much in that regard. Because we actually did overcoach a lot of our reads early on um, with this zone read and with the power read. There's a lot of gray area with it. And the quarterback's got to trust it. You know, like the quarterback's got to feel confident in what he's doing because if he's like, if he second guesses himself, then he's not going to play fast. We want him to play as fast as possible. And so he doesn't feel anything coming out, then boom, he's hitting that thing underneath. And we just try to keep it as simple as possible. Give the guys the most freedom to play. That's kind of our philosophy on it. So. And we'll run jet counter and stuff like that off of it. So when people start to overplay, we can come back and just really everything, like I said, is predicated off the motions. So we set it up going inside zone triple. Once you start to defend that, now we take it to the next level of how we kind of adjust it. So you start gotcha. to 
jet with motion. Now we'll come back with counter. Now you start to overplay. Hey, you're you're playing your end straight up the field. Okay, well, we're not going to read anymore. We're just going to say, hey, quarterback, keep it. You know, and we kind of just manipulate it on how they're playing us. And so as a as a play caller, it's really simple because it's like almost like a formula. If they do this, then we'll do this. If they do this, then we'll do this. And we just kind of work our way down the line with it. So that's the that's the good part about it. Like you're not sitting in there being like, well, dang, we got to run GT count now. You know, you right. do this. And and that's how we were at GMC. And, you know, like that stuff worked. But it was hard for me because I wasn't used to that. And it took me like a year and a half to kind of get used to like smokes. Like, okay, like we got to block this play. Then we got to block this play. And then we got to block that play. And just trying to match them all together, which is a great learning experience for me because except for GT counters, really the only play I haven't ever really coached. And so uh, it's been nice. So maybe this year we'll get into some GT counter. So I don't know. Heck yeah. But everybody, all my friends are like, coach, you got to do GT counter. And I'm like, but they always tell me when they run GT counter, they're like, when we, we got a little too heavily involved in it. Like we <laughs> a little too deep in that and kind of, from it so I'm like yeah you know I don't want to get like I don't want to get too far into it so it's 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 a hard mat mix to find because I get scary going out there running two plays I get scary yeah I bet you know so but you have to be confident they're going to execute and that's the thing so but do you guys get a bunch of different looks than what you think you're going to get because of your your style of offense no. No. It's it's weird. People – so I've had some people that tell me, like, yeah, we kind of spend a day just practicing a bunch of different looks. I'm not a believer in that. I don't believe that. I think defensive coordinators – now, I've talked to my guys in high school, and it's – if I was in high school, I'd probably do a little bit more of that because, you know, in high school you have a little more tendency just to flip a switch and go in a different direction, you know. But in college, defensive coordinators are trained – their mental process always works the same. And it didn't matter if I was at Georgia Southern, GMC, or now at Savannah State. Whatever we saw on tape is what I've gotten. And I've had five years of that. Now, you might know, like, a defensive coordinator doesn't play heavy odd, but he might transition to a little bit more odd. We saw that some in Albany State. Like, hey, they're they're 30% odd well, they're probably going to be 50% off because that's their second answer to things. And so I just kind of build it out as an answer sheet, like, okay, here's their answers to stop X, Y, and Z. And so as they start to do those things, those other things, then we start to get into 12 personnel where we know we're going to get base looks and get into funky formations that really just make force them to go to their base defense, you know, so – when when you're recruiting or, or when you're putting an offensive line up there with this style of an offense, where are you where are you trying to put your dude? Like in theory, a guard. A guard. Yeah, you got to have a pretty good guard. You can get away with having an average tackle. Like my left tackle was a freshman this year. He was an athlete, but he was a freshman, and um, and I got away with playing him, starting him, and we won seven games with him. You know, so. With that being said, like, he was 6'1", 240. Like, he wasn't anything special. Like, I wasn't, like, fired up about trotting him out there every week. But, right. like I said, with the split manipulation and stuff, the tackle doesn't have to be your best player. But you got to have a guy that can baseball get three technique. And so, I'm for, I was fortunate enough last year to have two dudes that could baseball three techniques that I felt really comfortable with and confident in doing that. Um, when we were at Georgia Southern, I had two guys that could block three techniques. Um, every year we had guys that could just base block threes. And so that's really, I guess, the foundational part of it. The next most important part would be the center. And then when you start to get athletic tackles, that's when you can get do some, like, <laughs> you start to get really exotic in it. So, but – well, I got you. Well, well coach, kind of, uh, you know, rolling up on an hour now, but but the thing that I always like to ask guys before we cut them loose uh, is when you're watching, you know, a, a high school or even a college offensive line 
what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Well, I just like watching guys that play with effort. You know, that's like our number one deal. Like the first thing we talk about every day is like, you are going to play with exceptional effort, no ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm going to coach them on it. And so I think like looking at guys, the way they play hard, you know, especially when you watch D2 stuff, like, you know, everybody's got a deficiency. So like if dudes are playing hard, that's number one. And then when they start to pick up like blitzes and stuff like that, that's when you know, like, these kids are pretty coached up. You know, fundamentals are good. Like, you'll notice some guys are, like, if they take good steps or they're always in the right spot. But usually when they pick up movement, that's when they're, like, you're, like, these dudes are well coached. So, but playing hard and being well coached whenever it's, like, picking up movements, that's, that's usually what I look for. Because if I can watch, put those guys on tape picking stuff up and show my guys, like, hey, look, look at what these dudes are doing. Like, see how they're picking this up. That helps me out the next week. So, Coach, man, it's been a blast. I love listening to guys. I know uh, the, the one year I got to be an O-line coach at Jinx, uh, when we went into the, the finals, it was, it was the two runs on the play sheet, man. It was inside zone, and it was power. So I've been in those shoes, and I know, you know, we, we kind of had to sit around for two weeks preparing for it, and you kind of start second-guessing yourself. You know, you're like, man, do we got enough offense? But – you know, like you said, we, we'd practiced it enough. We'd seen every look. The kids knew the different tags and things that we could add to it. And, you know, and, and we went into it really, really confident. So I, I've always been a huge proponent of it to me. You know, just having those two schemes, it's plenty. And when you, and when you window dress it, no doubt about it. So it was cool to listen to it, man, and cool to see it work at the college level too. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on um, just to kind of be able to talk about this stuff because – I like I like listening to what you guys are doing and hearing other coaches from all different levels, kind of seeing what's going on with that. So it's been really, really enjoyable. Appreciate you guys having me. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.